welcome back everybody this is the very first episode of season two of let's go steal a podcast today i have back with me and by back with me i mean back with me several days in a row i've got lisa lynn here to talk about uh the bean town bailouts yes please I'm, embrace, I'm gonna embrace pretend y'all. Love i love less people's hearts good do it and you also just say fixin' too. <laughs> Do you know that one? Like, oh, I'm fixing to go to the store. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm fixing to go make some fried chicken. Yes. Okay. Anyways, Beantown bailouts. <laughs> we will stay on topic, I promise. Uh, Beantown bailout was. That's not how we roll. Okay. I know that was, that was a lie. We'll try. Is that too? Okay, so people do not lie to the people. We're trying our best. Anyways, Beantown Bailout was written by John Rogers, and it was directed by our good friend Dean Devlin, who I believe just comes back for every premiere and finale to wrap it all up in a cinematic way. It aired on July fifteenth, two thousand nine, which means there was not a lot of you know, lag time between the season one finale in February to it premiering again in July, which is really cool. That meant they found out pretty quickly that they did get picked up for a second season. So that's got to be a well, relief. You know, maybe every all the cast and crew were still in town, so they maybe they didn't really have to like start up production, and all the writers, everybody was still there. Well, they um, actually they moved production, so they did the first season in L.A. And the second season, though it's set in Boston, they actually filmed in Portland. So uh, we talked about this before. I've been to Boston for 24 hours. It's a beautiful, <laughs> crisp fall, November day. It's gorgeous. I walked the entire Freedom Trail. Um, oh! Yes, it was so pretty. And <clears throat> I don't know if, if Portland is a good fit for Boston, because I, even though I was there 24 hours, not, I'm not quite an expert. I was there, I think I told you, for about four hours for a college visit, which was for not as my mother put her foot down and was not going to let me go to school in Massachusetts. <laughs> uh, so, I'm not, I mean, and like we said, uh, you know, Timothy Hunt and John Rogers were New England, Massachusetts, like Boston boys. So I'm sure like they were, like they would see that the nature was authentic and as for Dean, I'm sure he just gets to exercise like director, producer, creator, like like so he can just do whatever the hell he wants. So like I think the premiere and finale are perfect for him. He can just go big. Because the premieres and finales are supposed to be big. He can just go big. He can just do what he wants. Yeah, he gets to like set the tone without any without having to follow anybody else's uh, you know, lead. Which I think is neat. I'm sure he appreciates that. He can live like, this is my show, bitches. I, I do what I want. <laughs> and now you have to follow this. <laughs> so um, this is what they have to follow. Uh, this episode picks up six months after the events of the second day of the job. And we kind of see that as a whole, the, the team is really bored and unfulfilled with their lives uh, post being team leverage uh, until a case literally like lands right in Nate's path. It sails over his head lands <laughs> on fire in front of him. Right. Um, before that, he's he's about to accept a job, 
in his old industries. Back in like IYS mode or something. Yeah, but not as high up as I imagine he was in IYS. Like, they're gonna give this guy a cubicle. Like, you can't give Nate Ford a cubicle. He's discovered priceless Monet's. I just feel like he, back in the day, he and Sterling were like the Brumies, like the team to beat. Like, they were the if boys at IYS. Mm-hmm. So, like, like just accepting a cubicle job would be just, like, way beneath him. Yeah. And I think if you get the vibe, like, he was in the suit, he has his hair, like, slicked back, like, he's trying to be, like, all... And then, like, you're talking about, like, the slow-mo pan, like, the world of misery and horribleness, the freedom oh, yeah. of horrible. Just like all the people like rolling their eyes and hating their coworkers and being just miserable. And then he's like, uh, no, I do not need, cause I don't think Nate really needs a job for the money, but it's clear at this point that he's kind of sobered up uh, quite a bit. Does I, it I, but not psychologically or emotionally? Right, so he needs something to occupy his time. He could not be sitting, sitting around twiddling his thumbs. He needs to be doing something with his life, and that for Nate is work because he's he is the job. I, I don't understand people like that. Like my mother, in, in a way like that, in a way she was like she was always on the go doing something. Mm-hmm. Like 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 Nate would just not be able to sit on a beach and drink a mai tai. Like, no, he can't ship. No, that's like that. That's that's part of his obsessive nature. Obsessive, like addictive nature. He's got to keep going. Shark can't stop moving. Um, but he's he's not willing to move into a cubicle into this kind of awful environment. So he itches that the guy he's talking to is mid sentence and he's out. Can I say something? And, and he's about to cross the street and break his sobriety by going into a bar. Uh, but then a car comes careening around a corner, hits another car, a really fast, not great CGI effect, pulls in the air. <laughs> we um, talk, yes, yes. yes. Like, I, I called the boys out for that. Christine, John, like, come on, boys. They should have just flipped the car. They should have just flipped it. Um, and, like, I think we talked about, like, on the blog, John says, like, it's surprisingly a lot easier just to blow shit up instead of doing the CGI, because CGI ain't cheap. Yeah. Imagine it's if weird. You... I mean, I'm sure the technology's gotten better in, like, the 9, 10 years since CGI. Yeah. I think that is probably, like, I, th- I probably think, like, you know, doing all that CGI is probably, it would probably still be easier just to blow the car up. Yeah. Yeah. So, next time they can blow the car up. And if they don't, we'll, we will really judge them. Uh, but inside the car, which is now on fire and upside down, are a father and daughter who we meet in a, in a kind of previous scene. So it's Matt and Zoe Kerrigan, who are just Aww. the sweetest little cinnamon rolls. Yeah, we love them. Love them so much. Like, Matt Kerrigan is unconscious for... 90% of the episode, but Zoe is just a literal cherub. She is so precious. Uh, she's an old soul. Yes, with like, his big eyes and his sweet face. You you just picked that freaking perfect gift, and you 
You say you're going to link it. <laughs> I'll link. Better link them in the show notes. Yeah, Lisa and I had an entire um, conversation where we just kind of summarized the show and gifts back and forth. Or this episode and gifts. And yeah, that was a really good Zoe gift. Yeah. Um, so uh, the conversation between yeah, Zoe... do that for every episode. Even if the ones I'm not commenting to, we will do that for every episode. Yeah, I like that. And I'll just send, I'll send the permalink to it. We are good people. Our gift was on point, people. <laughs> yeah. On point. I have a gigantic folder of gifts. I can I can give you <laughs> the best of them. <laughs> but but, um, but it, it was so sweet. Like, I mean, kudos to both of the actors because it was like literally like 90 seconds, but... You, you see the dynamic, like she worships her daddy. He love he adores his little, her little, his little girl, but she has him wrapped around her her little finger because she asks for a phone and he's like, Ugh. I can't win. <laughs> but she's trying to convince him to go to the police because he's found something questionable at work. He works at a bank. <laughs> and he says, you know, I, I tried to go to the, the police, but it's so confusing. They don't understand it either. And um, so she she's urging him to explain it to them better. And that's when the car starts to fail and the, the brakes go out and he's just careening around. And and he puts his, he does the, the mom seatbelt where he puts his arm in front of her, which was apparently ad-libbed, which is so sweet. So sweet. So yeah, so they, they flip their car right, like literally over Nate's head. And uh, he goes and pulls Zoe out immediately. And uh, then there's another man who runs up to the car and Nate tells him, get, you know, get, get the guy. And he's like, yeah, okay. But he doesn't, he grabs. And like, you, okay, it's not a stereotype when they deliberately like, make him like deliberate, you know, just tag him as sketchy with the beanie and like the hulkingness and the, and the sweat. Yeah. This guy is textbook typecast as kind of Boston thug. I imagine. I don't know any Boston thugs, but and like you know, accent to match that broad like act like Boston act. I can't even do it. Like, yeah, have get, we have to get Adele to do it, but um, <laughs> yeah, she can do it. Clearly, he was up to no good. Yeah. So he, instead of helping Matt out of the car, he grabs Matt's briefcase and runs off with it. So Nate has to leave Zoe and go back for her dad uh, just in time before the car explodes. And we love Matt because he are, he like tells Nate to get Zoe out first. So we love yeah. him. Yeah, we know he's a good dad. Good daddy. Yeah. And then um, we get Nate checking on the two of them in the hospital and he meets Matt's boss, Leary, something, I can't remember his first name. Glenn. And Glenn Leary. Glenn Leary, that's right. Oh, we love the name Glenn. Um, <laughs> and and he is introduced to Detective Bonanno. Yes. Bonanno. We love Bonanno. This is Bonanno's first appearance. He's a big part of season two and beyond. And, um, yeah. and Robert Blanche, all the credit to Robert Blanche. Like, he took the role and made it his own. Like, he made, like, leverage, like, audience level. And we love Bonanno, and he's and he's part of the crew that John Rogers found in Portland, like Portland actors. And he's like, he yeah, he's rising like deep bench in Portland acting community. Yes, <laughs> you need to get out there more. 
<laughs> the girl who plays Zoe, I have forgotten her name. I looked it up yesterday. Um, she only has four acting credits on IMDb, and Leverage was her first her first TV one. And I think that is a that is a damn shame. She should be out there more. But yeah. Hopefully she's doing like community theater where she's yeah. just like her life. Yeah. It's no, it's been like ten years since so she's an adult now, so <laughs> uh, or she decided acting's not for her. Who knows? That's true. That there's no problem with that. <laughs> um Yeah, so uh so he meets Detective Bonanno, who is a state police officer, state yeah, he's for the state police. Um, and which, you know, obviously sets Nate's spidey senses tingling. What, what's a state police officer doing investigating a, you know, a car, a car wreck? This is, that's strange. That's, yeah. And he's like, yes, it is. <laughs> he just leaves. <laughs> like, All right. Um, and then he has this really sweet scene with Zoe where she's, obviously you know hops off on pain meds and she's crying and her eyes are so pink and puffy and she's trying to tell Nate you know something wrong with something was wrong with the car and and he's like okay I'm gonna go tell Detective Bonanno and then she's just like wait and she just repeats something goes wrong with the car and he tells her to get some sleep and like holds her hand and she goes to sleep and she just has this one tear tracking down her cheek and on her chin and she just falls asleep. She trusts Nate, and it's so beautiful. Oh, are we getting so dumb? Are we even? Yes. I have a lot of feelings, especially about sweet little baby. So, uh, what was your read on Gwen Leary when you first met him as Matt Carrigan's boss? Um, so he—he's one of those like. My first thought was, oh, he's this is one of those like sweet like hapless guys who gets duped easily. He does say um, he does have that kind of throwaway line about the boss at the bank and the, the you know the, the government crisis. Yeah, the crisis and the government's going to come write us a check uh, for the bad assets. And he that kind of like you're like whoa that's kind of a weird way to put that. Okay, your bank's about to be shut down. You're about to be out of a job. Oh, and kind of flipping about it. If you like looking back, you can tell he's just trying to lay the groundwork for knowing what he's doing. Yes, like but he's really he's really good at it because you don't unless you know. Spoiler: where the the flip is going to come up, then yeah, and I, we should never say spoilers in this show <laughs> for the for the episode we're talking about because we literally tell you everything that's happening. But I mean, but I, I just thought that was a great bit of casting because yeah. this Charles Smith was actually in the untouchables. Mm-hmm. So what bit of it's interesting and ironic and great bit of casting. Yeah. This is nice. Yeah. Then we've got we have Nate going to see Sophie in a production of The Sound of Music. And the most awkward family reunion Yes, the rest of the team is there, and some people are excited to see each other, and some people are not, are acting like they're not excited. Uh, Nate is the least excited to see everyone, but Nate is never excited about anything unless it's oh, oh, you know, shot of whiskey. So, <laughs> like literally, he's he's just not happy about anything. Parker was happy. Parker yeah. was possibly happy. 
Yes, uh, Hardison was surprised but not unhappy. Elliot was Elliot. Pretending not to be. Exactly. Uh, and then Sophie comes in and we all know this is gonna be a bad performance. <laughs> he says she can sing but not as well as she can act. And like the look on Hardison's face. And like, <laughs> oh, Jesus. I know, but they all knew it was going to be awful, and they still came, even though they hadn't seen each other in six months. If that's like, not love, and that's not family, I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Like, like a mom you get, like, going to her elementary school, like, kids, like, Christmas pageant. Yeah. Pageant, even though it's going to suck. But yeah. she goes there, and then she stands up and gives her baby a, a you know, a standing ovation anyway. Exactly. Or her baby can't sing to save their life. <laughs> Luckily... Children's Christmas pageants do not have reviews online <laughs> and the show ends, but unfortunately, Sophie does. Um, and I love that so Sophie can. just ran in, ran up in her curlers, like not the. <laughs> She's got the the papers in her shirt, so she doesn't get makeup all over herself and yeah, her curlers. Great. Oh yeah. They're they're at this bar after the the play and Sophie is freaking out because she's got all these bad reviews. And then we we see Nate and Elliot come up and uh, Nazi saying a Nazi joke that does not hold up. Oh yeah. Uh, Let's just skip the Nazi references. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wish we could skip Nazi references all the time. But anyways. Uh <laughs> And Elliot is kind of evincing surprise that Nate has stopped drinking. You stopped drinking? You stopped drinking? I feel like at that point, like, Elliot's the only person who could question Nate like that. Like, Elliot, I mean, Parker and Harrison would never even think to. Um, and in the like, Sophie would think it was just too weak. It would just be too weird. So Ellie, yeah. the only person can like, like, what? You quit drinking? Like, what? What's going on? Like, so, there's something not. <laughs> yeah. So in the family dynamic, Nate and Sophie are the parents. Hardison and Parker are definitely the kids. Elliot is the the uncle. Elliot's like the brother. So yeah, the the I think so, like John and like first like, Elliot and. Parker Harrison as the kids, but almost I think like Elliot's like almost like maybe the older sibling, an older yeah. sibling to the extent that he almost parents to the younger siblings too. Yeah, no, he's he's the uncle. He's he's more like just a little like he's probably like Nate's little brother. Like <laughs> he can call him on a shit, and he can call the little kids on their shit, and and he gets annoyed by them, you know. Or he's like really far removed to older brother from the kids. Right. And in that sense, like, and also this happens in the very first episode, we kind of see that Elliot has an emotional maturity that the others don't have. I know we talk about, um, we'll talk about Hardison in this one, uh, showing a bunch of emotional maturity, but Hardison really shows it just for one person, and Elliot kind of gets it for more than one, for more people in general. And this, I think, is evidence of that. And... Yes. Yeah. So uh, Nate knows about this bar because he rents a condo upstairs, which is <laughs> very Catholic. As Elliot puts it. I mean, we discussed that we're in Boston. 
Boston Irish Catholic, Irish Italian Catholic is a thing. It, it, it's a thing. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you said like you hicks like kind of understand what what the, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, it's it's the brown side of me, not the hicks side of me, but uh, yeah. And and Nate canonically is Catholic. He was in seminary to become a priest. So, you know, all of this makes sense that he would kind of torture himself with his addiction so close to him. <laughs> I don't think that's like a good Catholic thing. I think it was just a side effect sometimes. I don't think it's suggested. Stereotype of the Catholic guilt and shame thing that I feel like it's like a cliche for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. And like the self denial and like the, you know. That's true. That's true. Which makes me feel like, is Nate just fasting? Like, is he just given up drinking for Lent, you know? Because it's easy to give up something for 40 days when you know you get to have it again at the end. Um, and I bet Nate is like, you know, I just have to quit drinking until, you know, this goal. And then I can drink again, you know, until it won't ruin me. But and then we can talk about Nate and his drinking all day. Um, <laughs> but meanwhile, Parker is trying to make Sophie feel better, and she suggests they go steal something. And Sophie is excited about this. Hardison is excited about this. Elliot's like, "Yes, get back on the bike. That's what we gotta do. Get back on the bike of crime." And uh, Nate shuts that down <laughs> pretty quickly. And they all uh, confess that he broke them. He made them into good guys. Parker said she stole the Hope Diamond and put it back because she was bored. Elliot got no, I mean, Hardison got no buzz from hacking the White House emails. Yeah, except for finding out that we're doing some hinky stuff in Pakistan. Elliot was in Pakistan doing said hinky stuff. And, and then, you know, they called bullshit on themselves. Like, uh, I was lying. Like, I was miserable. Yeah, I hated it. I I didn't love being by myself for six months. I didn't love my oxygen tank. <laughs> my oxygen tank? What the hell? Uh, yeah. I mean, and and Elliot says it in in the second David job. You know, I just got used to it. I just got used to working with a team. And and Sophie had ruined his trust in that. And then nobody else ruined his trust, but they were forced to split up, and that was really painful because they were used to working as a unit and relying on each other. Yeah. Yeah. So, and and being the problem with being a good guy is it gets under your skin. And so they want. They Especially want, because, like in the in, in the Nigerian job, like they like says I've chased down all of them. They are all loners. They work alone. They this team scenario will not work. So the fact that these loner loners, like you know loners have started to come together, mm-hmm. that's a big deal for them. They're yeah. Not, they used to be lone wolves, so. So what do you do with them now? You try to find them a new case, <laughs> but Nate does not want to find them a new case, even though he literally has one, the number for one in his pocket. Like, he, he like could Sophie's, be... Like, Sophie's practically begging, come on, you gotta know some poor lost soul who needs yeah. yeah, but Nate, Nate's not having it, so he goes home. And before Sophie has a chance to tell him something. But we don't know what that is. Parker knows. Parker knows, which is definitely evidence that she and Sophie have been in touch. 
And I read something today that I love and I didn't even, I guess I, yeah, I was looking up this episode, um, but someone said, because later we find out that, like, Hardison says, I looked for you for six months to Parker, and we know that Parker and Sophie have been in touch, and we know that Sophie's been in touch with Hardison at least enough to send him an invitation to her yeah, thing. Well, she's been in touch with all of them. That's yeah. Oh, yeah, she's been yeah. I'm doing a show. So yeah, so she's been in cahoots with Parker to keep her hidden from that artisan. And I, I love imagining her just being like, oh. And, and Parker Absence makes know, the heart grow fonder and all that stuff. Not to lure and tell Sophie's secret. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to tell on her. Yeah. So Nate goes back to his condo and is just kind of randomly standing in his living room, staring at nothing. I guess brooding uh, and and our our dude from earlier on the street sneaks in who's the creepiest who's still telegraphing as creepy smarmy up to oh me. yeah he's still in the same hoodie and like grimy beanie and he has a, like a carving knife and he just like like just creeping up on him gonna stab him in the back i guess that's how they do it in boston uh, but uh <laughs> Nate sees him reflected in something shiny in the kitchen and turns around and it's time to kind of... Well, the dirty cookie tray! The dirty cookie tray! I think it's I think it's something else, but the dirty cookie tray does come in in a second. Yeah, so he turns around, he's trying to fend this guy off, it's not working, this guy's kind of big, and... But then so, Sophie shows up. Out of nowhere! Out of, well, the hallway. But yeah, no, out of nowhere, you're not expecting her, and she says... Oi! Does your mother sew? And then she headbutts him. Uh, and says, Stitch that! Can it not come up much more like East London, like not polished Sophie accent? Yes. <laughs> Which is wonderful. I like it. It's kind of like salty Sophie. Uh, and I. I never want to have to headbutt somebody, but if I do, I hope that I have the presence of mind to say that before and after <laughs> I headbutt somebody. Um, bucket list item right there. I can't, I'm vertically challenged, so I can't headbutt people. <laughs> and that is just not but, a useful tool in my art. That would not be a useful tool for there, me. There are many things you could do to someone, though, that you could say those lines. Switchblade, you break a bottle on the bar and cut them with that. Like, there I are just a lot of things you can do. You could stab them. It would be easy for me to go for the crown jewels. With a knife? Just need them or something. Incapacitate them. I don't know if you with a knife. Shank them and then say, stitch that. Uh, Alright, it could work. Okay, okay, we have something. This we have gotten very violent today. But anyways, so, um, so then Nate goes out. Once once the guy is headbutted, he makes a run, makes a run for it, and Nate tries to chase him out, but he gets away. And then he's turning to come back into his apartment, and Sophie smacks him in the face with a cookie tray. A cookie tray that I noticed is was recently used and had not yet been cleaned. It has the 
the residue of cookies on it, like the stuck on crumbs or whatever. So I thought that was a one, a nice piece of like oh, reality, but two, Nate Ford is not baking cookies. <laughs> So I don't know who was baking cookies in his apartment. I mean, like, I could see him going so far. Like, he would deny himself cookies and alcohol. He literally only has coffee in his house, as we find out in a minute. I swear Parker brought her own cereal. Because in the next scene, Nate wakes up the next morning. He's on his couch, still in his clothes. Uh, and the first thing he sees is Parker wearing a nun's habit. Eating cereal and just wow. grinning at him because she's wow. just so happy. In a nun's habit. But yes. Just so happy. And the whole gang has basically moved in and refused to leave. They yes. went through Nate's pockets while he was asleep. They found the number to the, the hospital. They, they called. They found out that he saved a man's life. They have set up camp and they are not leaving. They are like yeah. proud of him. They even give him a golf clap. Yes, Elliot gives him a golf clap. <laughs> Elliot is not easy to impress. <laughs> and I thought it was a genuine golf clap. <laughs> as far as golf claps go. <laughs> I don't play golf, so. I don't know. I just, I feel golf claps are very condescending. Because I think most people who play golf are condescending. No offense if you play golf, you're a listener. But, uh, but kind of offense, that's okay. Um, so the whole gang's there. Nate only has coffee in his pantry. This is our new hangouts. I miss the, I miss the old conference room, but as we all know, it exploded in the last episode. And I love, and I love that, like, we're resetting. We're resetting. Yeah. Because every year, like John just said, like every year we act like this is our very last season. So every year it's almost we we write it. Have you love It's the very last episode. We will be satisfied with it. We can be self-contained. So every year it's like the reset kind of re can reinvent themselves mm-hmm. with the added challenge that you know Gina Melvin has been blessed with trials. Yes. So that's definitely a new way that we're going to have to attack this season. Uh, Sophie comes downstairs and she's wearing Nate's, one of Nate's shirts, which is just the first way that we see them kind of cover up her baby bump. Later in the episode, she's wearing a beautiful red dress, but with a trench coat over it to kind of hide as well. So it'll be fun as the season goes on to be pointing out, oh, look, she's hiding behind a box. She's hiding. Like, like once you know, you can see all the tricks. Where the, they're yeah. sitting behind the table. They're she's like, carrying a really big purse. <laughs> or like like Kelly Ripper said, the bit, when she was on well, My Children, they had her like suitcases with just moving plants. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's just yeah. like suddenly all the tables are really tall. <laughs> or do you just shoot from like the neck up or, or like the from like the neck up or like so yeah like above the bump you shoot above the bump yeah yeah you focus on the cleavage and (laughs) you know I feel like Sophie uses that to her advantage anyways so would not be outside the realm of possibility and so they've you know they've discovered they're, they're going to go investigate whatever it was that Matt Kerrigan had found at the bank so Hardison and Parker um, are going on a con and as they leave and I noticed this when I was watching it for the first time I was like, ah, oh, Hardison looks great in that black suit like he is dressed like real sharp he looks 
he looks nice. <laughs> and then he like gets up and he like puts on the white collar and I'm like, ugh. <laughs> because as a Catholic person, I'm just like, no, you don't think that way about a priest. No. Meanwhile, um, like Nate's being all like Thomas Jefferson, like in 1776, leave me alone. <laughs> That's a great callback. I love it. Oh my god, now I'm seeing Nate Ford on like a white wig with the glasses. Oh, listen, okay. I've watched. Oh, I've that's Benjamin Franklin. I'm imagining Nate Ford as Benjamin Franklin and not Thomas Jefferson, and that's better. Him as Benjamin he, Franklin. He was so. He played Benjamin Franklin. No, he didn't play Benjamin Franklin. He would be so. He was so a pain in the ass Adams, so and you know that. Oh you know that. We'll talk about musicals another time. Um, but hey, I think that fits with the sound of music being in this episode. Yes. So uh, I also love that Elliot's like, oh, she's dressed like that because she's doing a con. <laughs> and, you know, Nate says, I just thought she was dressed as a nun. Well, she's Parker. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> he had to be like, true that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. True that. <laughs> Uh, so Hardison and Parker get an account at this bank so they can get at the safe deposit boxes. There he overplays it again. I know, like, I know. And you know, come on. You, you know that play. usually I am a fan of Hardison overplaying, like just hamming it up when he's on a con. But this, I don't even know what this accent was, and it was like really painful for me. So I let's move on. Uh, <laughs> Parker Parker lifts the master key and gives an imprint of it and they do a little a cool uh, sciencey thing with some glue and uh, they make a plastic key in like seven seconds inside a hollowed out bible we're all going to hell um, which, and is, which is you know Hardison is, is not okay it's sacrilege yeah. blasphemy is something you say so it was sacrilege well, she told him to shake the Bible, so <laughs> it's a little bit of both. Uh, and then we have this great, great exchange between the two of them where Hardison says, hey, I, I, I did, I looked for you for six months, and Parker isn't even making eye contact with him because she's trying to pick this lock, and she has this great line about how people are like locks, they're, um, what are they? They're, they're really complicated and frustrating, and you have to be like patient and fiddly with them. Yeah, it's like take your time and be fiddly with them. And it's just great. It's good. And then you know, eventually, you'll hear the, the click. And and it's just this great moment of her letting him know that she's not there yet. Like you're gonna have to wait and be patient with me. And because I don't know how to people yet, <laughs> I'm getting there, and I want to get there. And I think I want to get there with you, but I, I'm not equipped for that. Just which speaks volumes because there was a time when people, when Parker wouldn't even want to people or even wouldn't want to try. So yeah, where she's at the point where she wants to open up and let people in and get to know other people. That's big for Parker. That's scary for Parker. Yeah. Oh my God, that's terrifying. And but I like that she knows that she's got to take it slow and that she can be honest with with Partisan about it. Even in you know like which, a simile like this, which and, also, like he's this is something she's probably like so she's probably talked about with Sophie's had to tell her, like 
I think, which lends credence like they are, they were, the two of them have been totally been in touch in during their six month hiatus. Yeah. 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 Girl talk. Which is, I, I'm imagining like the first time Sophie's like, let's talk about our feelings. And Parker's like, what are those? Does not compute. Huh? Um, so. I, like, also, are you talking about where she would run away screaming terrified right parker does not do theater <laughs> no she doesn't and and hardison knows that and i love his kind of like look at her he's like okay i read you loud and clear i'm not gonna let this affect our friendship the way that we work together i'm just gonna i'm gonna work on this and we'll get there eventually like he's not in any sort of hurry and that's so beautiful He's so gonna be there waiting whenever she's ready. It's <sighs> perfect. Um, then she does get the lock open, and she immediately is like, "We could take everything. We could open all of these boxes. We get everything." Get and he's like, "Focus, focus." Uh, and then, and then we cut to uh, <laughs> Nate checking on Zoe again. He's coming down his little cool spiral staircase, and Hardison is back. Still looking really good and all black because now he's lost the collar, so it's okay again. He's scanning docs. Yes, he's scanning and printing documents that they found. So they found these files that say um, that there's a bunch of these businesses who have, were established in the late 70s. They've been well run for years, but suddenly in the last couple of years they started taking really bad risks. They've been taking out bad loans and not being able to like running and defaulting on them. Running it uh, to the ground. All yes. Purpose, yes, which is really weird because they were just doing fine before, and it's kind of a, a weird t- change, you know, in whatever. Uh, and Nate recognizes the dude who's in charge as Brendan O'Hare, who's a local mob guy that he recognizes from the neighborhood he grew up in. And and Hardison's like, "Oh, the mob? Uh, and where's <laughs> Elliot? Uh, <laughs> Elliot's in a warehouse." Everyone got the bench here. Bonanno is probably a shout out to one of the New York crime families. Yes. Crime families. Yes, that's right. Bonanno is a shout out to <laughs> organized crime, but he is not in organized crime. Uh, so Elliot has to deal with some mob guys in a warehouse, and we get this awesome baseball bat fight with, once again, our goon from earlier, who um, his nose is obviously a sore point, so Elliot takes advantage of that and the guy's like on the ground yelling no the nose. Think, like, he had the, like he had like the the nose cast on right or the brace or whatever it is you call it uh, yeah. yeah like the metal but kind of like straighten it out yeah and so then that got hit so that oh i, oh, I can't even imagine and elliot gets but like the, the other two, bat. Not that you guys were just so clumsy they just charged him like, they there did. was no they, strategy, there was no finesse, they just charged him. They picked up whatever was to hand, a crowbar and like a very large 2 by 4 and yeah, they had no, no training. This is very, very easy. So easy, in fact, that at the end, Elliot apologizes before he leaves. It's like, you were not worth my time. It's interesting because... You know, with the Godfather, Untouchables, Goodfellas, or like you, I think you have this idea, like you know, there's a sheet of romanticism when it comes to the mob, the mm-hmm. mafia, and I think like this shows the like the what what it's really like. It's not Don Corleone like in the study with the cognac, 
Yeah. Like, it is rough and vicious and down and dirty, and, like, there's nothing sophisticated or romantic about it at all. No. Yeah, no. Um, but still, Elliot is a gentleman. <laughs> I apologize. Uh, then we go back to the apartment, and we get this great shot from inside of the refrigerator, where we see that Hardison has moved all of his orange soda in yes, and taken over. Faded. Yes. They have, and they've left a mess. They've just destroyed this kitchen. There's just like food plates with leftovers on it, and it's gross. And you can tell that Nate is just freaking out. He's just like, "Get out of my house!" And no one's listening. They just, ignored, I, I think what pissed him off is that they just ignored him. They're yeah. not moving. They just ignored him. They're just like, pat him on the head, like, oh, you're so cute. You're just adorable. <laughs> Bless your heart. Uh, instead, <laughs> yes. Instead, they're going through this box that Elliot has brought back from one of the warehouses, and they're finding all of this, like, vintage stuff from the 80s, like a, a wall calendar of hollow notes that's 60% tall. <laughs> No, forty percent oats, and um, yeah, like you mentioned yesterday, this is like the second shout out we've had to Hollow Notes, uh, including in the Bank Shot job, our first episode together. Um, oh, yes, <laughs> memories. And where I've lost my, where I've lost my podcast virginity. <laughs> yes, we took your podcast, Jerry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which. <laughs> Looking at all this stuff from the 80s kind of uh, leads us in the next step to figuring out what's going on. So the team is just sort of spitballing and talking out loud. Jacket, but to me, that jacket was just so emblematic of everything that is wrong with 80s fashion. It's just so loud, so clashing. Like, it hurts your eyes, Steve. Come it's on. shiny. They're, yeah, they're shoulder pads. It's bulky and it's not flattering. Oh no, it's also like eight sizes too big for Beth Reescraft, so <laughs> I I could fit into that. Um, and I would probably try to wear that. Um, I would buy it and be like, this is amazing, and then never have the balls to wear it. So, <laughs> you know. Um, and this is kind of how we're bringing Nate into this thing. Yeah. They're trying to figure out, like, what's up with these companies? Like, why, why are they acting like this? Like, why they do they have this really old clearly, stuff? They're clearly, like running him and luring him in. It is so clear that they're playing him like a cheap... And, and, they're, and he knows that they're doing it too and he is himself. utterly utterly helpless to stop this inevitability. And so finally he just like blurts out like it's it's taxes. Like it's, it's you know, they're they're crooked. And um, he's, he asks Sophie... Ever since like he saw that Brandon O'Hare and the mom's involved, like the gears just were started running. Like, yeah. what's going on? Like, he's putting the he's putting it together. Like, he can't help himself. Yeah, this is the boulder picking up speed as it rolls down the hill. And so he asks Sophie, you know, how do you? What is it? How do you catch a mob boss? And she says, two glasses of Chianti and a story about my grandma in Sicily. And her and while she's saying that, her voice like morphs into like more like a New Jersey accent, less English, uh, which, I thought, which I think is just really subtle and beautiful. Uh, and he says, taxes, tax evasion. Like that's how you, that's how all of the big mob bosses are caught. Shout out like, to Hatchables. 
Yep. Oh. Yep. Al Capone. Uh, and Paul Smith's character was like the accountant who was the one who's like, look, there's something shady about his books. Like he's but you've seen the Untouchables, right? Well, have you not? Okay, my Kevin Spacey issues aside, it is a great film. Mm. But the casting, like I said, was especially perfect because the character Charles Smith was like the nebby little like accountant guy who's part of the like the super team, and he's the one like like he's the one with the running looking at the numbers and the books and saying something's not right, and he's the one who finally helps like using that angle. So very apropos that he was in this episode. Yeah. So we bring Nate in. And he points out that, you know, the the O'Hare family got smart in the 70s and they set up these shell companies to avoid tax evasion. They, uh, you know, they have bankrolls and, you know, statements and, you know, they're, they're right. everything is on the up and up and they just, that's how they clean their money. Right. So, but they, they don't get on the IRS's radar. So they keep, yes. you know. Yes. Yeah. When you're, when you've got a dead body in the trunk, you don't drive over the speed limit. <laughs> And totally freaks out Parker. I mean, if, you, if Parker is disturbed, you know you, it's dark. Right? Oh, man. There's no going back for Nate at this point. So he's comes over and he's looking at the boards and he's kind of thinking about it. And he's like, well, yeah. if, if I were to do a con, and they're all like, yeah, yeah. if? Hypothetically, of course. And the con you'd want to do is the turnabout. And and that's it. Like, Nate's in. This is a five-person con. Like, you can't do it without five people. I know yesterday we were talking, like, you weren't sure if they were, like, deliberately getting things wrong because they knew it would just annoy Nate. I mean, I'm thinking about, it, like, I, like, they definitely got, like, the names of the bank and the boss wrong and stuff like that. But I think that when they were trying to figure out the mob angle and the IRS angle, I think that was genuinely them trying to work it out in their heads. I agree. Like, I think they were trying to do it in real time. Yeah. You know, they were just getting all the information. Right. Like, and they, they, because they're using Nate's place as their headquarters. So it's not like they convened somewhere else and came here with all the knowledge. They're trying to figure it out as they go. And Nate's just so far ahead of everybody all the time. That he was already there before and, they could, like, and they would have gotten there. But yeah, but like you said, like Parker, like each of them have just depth. They're the experts at what they do. But yeah, they're specialized. He has the breadth, like so he can he knows a little bit about everything. So like I mean, like Parker and like Sophie, they steal art and con like rich people and stuff like that. Park, I mean, like. Harrison is just too tech, so he, the he and the mob just don't intersect. Yeah. Elliot probably has intersected. <laughs> Elliot's definitely intersected with the mob. <laughs> definitely, I think <laughs> Elliot's intersected with everybody. <laughs> that sounds like he has a lot of STDs. I don't mean it that way. <laughs> um. <laughs> so, so Nate's yeah, in. Turn the word intersect into a verb. <laughs> what it yeah. may not even be. <laughs> Um, so, so now we've got, everybody has their parts for this new con, and Hardison and Parker go in as state police, Costigan and Costello, who are both characters from The Departed, and they, they approach Glenn Leary and say, you know, we're, we're investigating Matt Kerrigan, like, we think he was on, like, 
you know, implicated in something. And and while they're talking to him, Elliot kind of comes out and glares in their direction so and that just be slightly menacing. Yes, just in the background. And then he goes around the corner and starts adding these little detonators to this wall on the outside of the bank. And Hardison and Parker, when they're talking to Leary, are so great because Hard- Parker like does air quotes, and then Leary questions what it is she says, and she's like, "Did I not do it right?" And he's like, "Yes, she did the air quotes." She did the air quotes. Like, that wasn't on you. That was on him. <laughs> like she was so perturbed. Like, I thought I did it right. No, no. Horace was like, "No, your execution was perfect." He was the one who was just not getting it. Like that yeah. was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you she's so like, happy. She's like, "Oh, good. I studied. I practiced it really hard in the mirror. I'm glad I pulled it off." She's like more proud of herself for that than for like diving through that hole in the glass that she cuts in the first episode of the first season. Um. Because that's just old school for her. And we have, oh, then we have this really fun bit where Elliot ta- asks about the detonators that he's just planted on the building, asking if the the thing that he has will will work if he's around the corner. And Hardison's like, it should. I'm still working out some some bugs. And he's like, what do you mean you're working out bugs? And he's like, well, sometimes other frequencies set it off, like. Uh, garage door openers or car alarms and a car alarm goes off like right next to them and he's like I got these in my pants (laughs) mostly I was very clear about that like he like like that was a very lawyerly thing like he covered his ass I did not say guarantee 100% performance (laughs) I said mostly I told you I was still working on them if you didn't understand what I meant by that that's not my fault (laughs) yeah and you know, we get we get a damn it, Hardison. It's great. Uh, meanwhile, Nate's being beaten up by mobsters, as you do, and Sophie shows up and introduces herself as Amy Croy from London, who's a looking very, to launder money. Very important aliens. Very yeah, important yeah, and she's great so she's she's obviously mob in london and she's really rough and she doesn't take any shit from anybody again she has like that east london accent like Mm -hmm. yeah so she's the ice queen to (laughs) nate's bag man what are parker and hardison's they're the badge and elliot's the sheepdog yeah elliot's the sheepdog (laughs) and we get to see him be the sheepdog in just a minute but um before that oh yeah no we get to see it right now so Elliot, we go back to Elliot and he's sitting in a car and uh, Glenn Leary comes out and he's walking by the building, the bank building, and Elliot lets off the charges and they sound like gunshots. So the banker thinks he's being he's being shot at, somebody's trying to kill him. And it's great, like Elliot's reaction to that, they were actually showing him the playback of of the actor like reacting to the gunshots and so he's just genuinely cracking up at it. <laughs> um, and this is this is part of the sheepdog aspect of his his role. So he he's in charge of guiding the mark where they want him to go, or one of the marks where they want him to go. And in wow. this instance, they want they want him to call Hardison and Parker. So he does, and he leaves a message for him to call him back. Yes. Uh, and then we have Nate in the hospital with Zoe, and this is probably my favorite besides the. The safe deposit 
scene. This is my favorite scene on the episode. Um, Zoe's like just a sweet, sweet, precious baby. And she's chewing on uh, this like religious medal that she wears around her neck. And Nate asks her about it. And she says it's St. Bridget, who her mom was named for. And I was really excited because one, I just like, I love all, it's just so cute, but I love the like religious iconography in this episode a lot. And St. Bridget is my confirmation saint. So, um, so I know a little bit about her. She's the patron, the patroness of, of Ireland after St. Patrick. And among other things, she's the patron saint of fugitives and of wanderers and of, and of poets and scholars. So and, she's really cool. And um, it digs deeper, and you can kind of see why Matt and Zoe are so close. So obviously losing Bridget brought them, like, they, now they're, like, super tight. Like, yeah, they, they only have each other. They only have each other, yes. Yeah. And and Bridget, or not Bridget, uh, Zoe has this really sweet thing that she says, where she says, there are wolves in the world. My dad always says... Be, be careful, Zoe, there are wolves in the world. And then she has, you know, this, this horrible, like, cynical thing, like, is this just how life is? You know, bad people do stuff and they get away with it and nobody does anything? Like, she's almost been forced to grow up faster than she should have. Yeah, in, like, a day. A day. And losing her mom at such a young age. So it's just, so it explains why she's such an old soul. Mm-hmm. She's faced a lot of ish. Yeah, and if if Nate wasn't already on board with the con, he he's committed now. He was doing the con before, but now he's there's yeah. a whole different level to yeah, it. Like he's got to prove. He's got to prove that bad it's, guys uh, always get tapped, away with it. It's tapped into like his whole fatherly thing and like yeah, Sam, and so it's like oh, it's game on now. Like those, oh, yeah. it's on my Donkey Kong. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is definitely on my Donkey Kong. Uh, and then we get the reintroduction of the earbuds. So, so far through this episode, I was being annoyed that they were using cell phones all the time. Like, why don't you have your earbuds? Um, <laughs> but now they have them because they have to reintroduce them for new viewers. And and I love that Hardison has obviously been working on the earbuds for six months to make them smaller and better. And it was like he knew that they were going to get back together. He knew that they were not going to be park forever i love it he upgraded everybody they upgraded. They, they upgraded. oh yeah earbuds 2.0 <laughs> so now they're hoping that they get the banker to run to the feds and so that's Nate, elliot is supposed to sh- help sheepdog and herd him to the police yes with 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 hardison and nate's help so nate talks to o'hare and says okay you know we're gonna meet but annie wants to talk to the banker so call him and set up a meeting and meanwhile hardison is talking to the banker who says okay somebody shot at you like you're in danger the next time like you're gonna get a call from someone that you know and they're gonna tell you to meet them somewhere and that means that that's where the hit's gonna be like they're gonna kill you so what you need to do is come to us that's the only way we can protect you so so like like ellie Elliot, I mean, like, Carson is teeing up Leary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's supposed to go straight to the state yeah. police. And and Elliot's going to make sure he gets there safely so that he can turn on the, 
the mob and then everything can be done. So we're like, all right, good. This is, this is getting wrapped up. These people are so good at their jobs. They, you know, nothing's going to go wrong. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. That's not how it goes. These people are the best. Like, it can't be that easy. They gotta so instead... They got to be constrained somehow in time and space. Exactly. Make exactly. that works for that win. Yeah. So instead of going to the police, Leary goes straight to the warehouse where everybody's at, uh, where Nate has just brought the $250,000 that Annie Croy is giving them as like uh, an incentive to let her in uh, into their business and all this stuff. I love Sophie laying the groundwork for Annie and she's showing him she's like just dirty and crooked because she kind of just wakes and nudges her head. up to you if you want to tell them you know? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Elliot is concerned that Leary has shown up there, and, and now it's kind of become clear that Leary is the brains of his operation instead of plot there. Plot twist. Yes, I know, right? So here's our first plot twist. Elliot gets picked up by some goons who see him sneaking on people and, and like watching and seeing what's going on, and they pull him in and... Uh, Nate has to frisk him and pulls out a state trooper badge. State trooper or state police badge. And Leary says, shoot him. Like, we, we have to get rid of this. Like, we can't have anybody. But O'Hare has already, you know, fixed the brakes on Kerrigan's car. And he doesn't want any other part of killing people. Which I think is weird for a mobster. But, He's I mean. surprisingly screaming for a mobster. He really is. So, uh, you know, he refuses, but before anybody oh, else can- stop. Daddy O'Hare would not approve. He's going to <laughs> This new generation. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but before anybody else can step up, a shot appears out of nowhere. And then another two shots, and Elliot falls to the floor, dead. And there's like a commercial break. <laughs> what? What just happened? And Nate is like looking so shocked. But we see when it comes back from the, you know, minuscule break uh, that it was Sophie. She's got a smoking gun and full you know, deep in her Annie Coy like persona. Yes. And O'Hare's like, that's not how we do it in Boston. She's <laughs> like, that's exactly how we do it in London, except we do it with razor blades. <laughs> Oh, damn. So you can tell us she's not from the genteel part of London. They find a cell phone on the body, and they decide to call the last number that that cell phone called, and O'Hare's phone rings. Ooh. So, so now he's been implicated um, <laughs> as having talked to the police, and he makes a run for it. Hardison and Parker are waiting right outside and to pick him up, and they... He is soft. Oh, yeah. Soft. Yeah, they're like... We're just gonna stand here, they're gonna come get you. And he's like, okay, I'll talk. So they force a confession out of him, record it, um, and then Parker chases him. Which is awesome. Then uh, then we've got Leary, Nate, and Sophie in the warehouse, and they decide they you know they've gotta wrap up these these loose ends. Leary doesn't think that O'Hare has enough evidence to be of any danger. Which I think is dumb. And so but, the, really the only other loose end they have is, is Kerrigan. So he's going to go take care of Kerrigan. He tells Sophie she's got to take care of this police officer. Cause he didn't touch the gun. 
So he takes the briefcase full of all this cash and heads to the hospital. But before he even gets out of of the warehouse, Nate's like, yes. Yes, I'm like, this is a large warehouse and it echoes. Like, you you need to wait like at least a minute for him to walk out that door, Nate. But Nate's like, how'd you do it? But it was it was the detonators and ketchup packets. <laughs> and Elliot is fine. Everybody, Elliot is fine. Do not worry. I was worried, and I think Nate was worried for a second. That look on his face is some good acting. <sighs> and Sophie says, I love it. I do love a good death scene. Just a little jump, too. I think a little skip. Yeah, he just, he did like some great moves. Oh, well, like you said, like, he was probably shooting blanks or something. God. Yeah, she had to have because there's like the smoke and the noise. I guess the noise could have come from the the, the detonators as well. But yeah, Leary goes to take out Kerrigan, and he straight up steps out of the elevator and pulls a gun out of his pocket in in a hallway in a hospital, which I think is very strange. But you know, I'm not a murderer, so I don't know how they think. Yeah, and I'm like, he, I mean, not. Like, just to get into the hospital, aren't there metal detectors? I don't know. I mean, you definitely can't take them in, like, an MRI room. Because you can't have anything magnetic or metal in there. But I don't know. Like, not into, like, a maternity ward, which is where I've been recently in hospital. So. Oh. No. Not not for myself, but to visit people who have just had a baby. (laughs) But yeah, but Leary's just wandering around with a gun. And he goes to pull back the curtain to kill Kerrigan, but... very dramatic fashion. Oh, but... very dramatic. Because, you know, you, you gotta do these things right. <laughs> and and there's Detective Bonanno sitting there casually, as you please, uh, on, on the hospital bed. Hey, how you doing? Hey, hey, what's that? What you got there? And he says, oh, yeah, this briefcase full of money, I can explain that. He's like, oh, well, you know... <laughs> I can explain uh, that too. Yeah, I've got. Yeah, exactly. I can explain everything. He's like, well, I've got a confession from O'Hare. He was handcuffed to my car, and uh, you know, I've got a taped confession. Like, but not the whole time. It's like, I mean, gosh darn it! Ain't it just? Ain't it just yeah. such a coincidence? I know, such a coincidence. I've got this guy with a confession, duct, like duct tape to my car, whatever. Here you are with a briefcase full of money from your own bank, because and Parker and briefcase. Yes, uh, with paperwork inside that proves that these everything you were doing is really hinky. Um, yeah, and the money is from all the safe deposit boxes that Hardison and Parker emptied when she was like, "We could take everything." Mm-hmm. And and my worry here is that. They did not keep track of whose boxes they got this money out of, and they not all the money will get back to the people who they took it from. Because that's yeah, that like, yes, yeah, like I mean, hopefully like, my little Robin Hoods they they you know kept receipts or whatever. It's like left a little note. Carson will do some electronic thing on the back end, and they'll be covered. Yeah, hopefully. But we like we talked about yesterday, like. Banana was just so different from Tagger and Sweetie. He's like, isn't this just so interesting? Yeah. Like, this case just basically dropped in my lap, all tied up nicely with the bell. Mm-hmm. I'm and- thankful for it, but I'm not 
just accepting it as my due. There's something well, going on here. Whereas, like, Tagger and McSweeney just embraced the large ass. Well, literally, doesn't McSweeney or Taggart, one of them just says, just don't question it. Just go along. Just <laughs> accept it, you know? So, like, I mean, they know. Which tells us that Banano's a much better Leo than Taggart. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And I don't know how those boys got through <laughs> into the FBI. But whatever. I love them and I'm happy about it. I mean, and like, uh, said, you're telling me that someone set you up so well that they wrapped you up as a bow and had you bring in this briefcase with the damning material with the suit monogram suitcase. Yeah. Is that what you're trying to tell me? <laughs> and he's like, uh, 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 yep, there's no coming back from that. There's just not. So no. goodbye, goodbye, Glenn Leary. <laughs> and then I guess a good amount of time has passed because Matt Kerrigan is up and about on crutches. Um, Yay! I mean, mean, like, we haven't seen him conscious in a while. We touched on it briefly, but, like, it was very timely. 2009, that was so AGI. Lehman Brothers, like, too big to fail the bailout. So I think that was, like you said, like, from the headlines, like, those mother, those mother efforts needed to be, (laughs) needed to be cut. Because you see, like, it's something, like, all they did was get a slap on the wrist. I almost wish it was a bigger bank that, that got it. This was just a small hometown bank. Yeah. But, I mean, at least we got a little bit of vengeance. Vicarious vengeance. Yeah. So the Kerrigans get a reward from the IRS for reporting the crime. And, which is great because you can tell that Matt's not going to accept any money from the team. It's just but that this yeah, but this is like legitimate. This is what the government does. They they reward people for reporting IRS um, okay. like tax evasion and crimes like that. So I mean, that's I, legit. I remember when we were talking about the juror job. Like, I mean, yeah, like the bad guy's got to kill me, but but so, you know, she still was she still wasn't made whole. Her husband was still gone. Yeah, you know, and and they made her take a black pool down, but Sam is still gone. But in this case, they're made like everything, you know, they're gonna be made whole. Yeah. They use like tort, like legally. They're gonna be made whole. They're gonna get better. Which is nice. That's a nice mm-hmm. episode to start with. Yeah. And then Zoe gives Nate a hug and she gives him her her medal, her St. Bridget medal. That is my favorite moment. Oh my god. It's so cute. And she says, uh, you know, there are wolves in the world, but sometimes they're the good guys, I guess. And you're just like, oh, honey. Oh. That's beautiful. Oh. Uh, and then, like, this is, like, the second possible ending. You're like, oh, okay, good. This is the end of the episode. But it's not. Um, and, you know, the, the kids kind of wander off somewhere, and Nate assumes that Sophie is free for dinner, and he's like, hey, let's go get something to eat. But she's, she's got a date she's going to meet her boyfriends which is the big reveal the big yeah that's what she was wanting to tell him earlier and i I think it's funny that she went to go hang out with them after her show then hang out with her boyfriend presumably that boyfriend would have been their opening night yeah yeah she just ditched him and then for like several days to just 
focus all of her attention on this. To be <laughs> on. I'm yeah. so psychic, darling. Yes, I just, uh, I'm just really busy right now. <laughs> and, and we get to hear this song by Andy Lang, uh, who's, I forget what it's called, but it's really beautiful, and that becomes... Not uh, sure yet. Yeah, it comes back again and again for uh, Nate and Sophie. It's kind of their song for the season. It's it's very it's a, I love that song. It, it works on a lot of levels. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, melancholy, but it's a little hopeful. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a little angsty. Really deep, like really deep. And, yeah, and while it's playing, Nate's really tempted to have a drink. Like he orders an Irish whiskey and he brings it up to his nose and he smells it um but he's that is so irish like he's just gonna whiten up all that and punish himself and make yeah, it like, deny that like this is not healthy this is not healthy mate. I we talked about yesterday like you know like i i am no place to tell someone who is in recovery how to go about that process right but to me, it just seems like no matter what, like you can't just white knuckle and go to a cold turkey. You need somebody. Mm-hmm. You can't just say, I'm going to do this on my own. It just does not work. Yeah. You know? <laughs> if it was that easy, no one would be an alcoholic. <laughs> if that was easy, no one would have this problem. They could just stop whenever they wanted to. But it's not that easy. But yeah, and so this is the third place that this episode could have ended but again it's not the ending <laughs> so he puts a five dollar bill down on top of the drink and walked out and instead of it going to well like did you see what he Devlin was like talking about that shot like he was so proud of himself yes he was like look look at the symbolism of the cross <laughs> the, the sacrifice and I'm just gonna be very art school for a minute so, <laughs> so um but Instead of that being the end of the episode, Nate goes upstairs and uh, he wants to brood. That's right. He wants to be alone in the in the in the dark in his apartment and brood. Yeah, but all the lights are blazing and Hardison is there um, setting up the screens. The screens are back, and he says, "What are you doing?" And he just he tries to tell him like technically what he's doing. He's like, "No, no, no, no like." What are you doing here? Why are you? Somebody has to tell you to get out of my house. I don't want to do that. And he's like, well, the landlord, if you look at your lease, the landlord can come in and make repairs and improvements. And he's like, why were you looking at my lease? Because <laughs> I bought the building. And then he like puts his fist out for a fist bump. Like, <laughs> he's not going to fist bump you, baby. He's no, no, and Harvest is like, come on. Yeah. Found it. Here we go. <laughs> uh, and then. Parker comes through the door with a painting of old Nate. And she's like, I love old Nate so much. Me too. I said it yesterday. I would have a portion of old Nate in my house, full size. I put him above my bed or something. I don't know. But she's like, I'm old Nate and I live here now too. And, and like, he's really losing it at this point. He's like, I no, not my painting. I hate that painting. Get it out. Get it out. Burn it with the fire. Like, he's literally in his, like, most, like, deepest circle of hell. Like, this is hell on earth to him right now. Yeah, he's like, like and I'm not even drunk. <laughs> like, I'm telling these people to go. They will not leave me the fuck alone. They are Can anybody in- hear me? <laughs> Can anybody hear me? Am I here? 
Um, and then we get Elliot chainsawing through the wall and the wall falls down and like smoke is billowing and he's like covered in dust and he's just giddy. He's cackling. He's, he's so happy. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. Like you said yesterday, that was just Christian King, like, just enjoying life. Exactly. And that should be every day. <laughs> that man's a blessing when he looks really happy. Um, and that's that's the end of the episode. Okay, you know, Parker... As far as the kids are concerned, like, it's time for a group hug. We're yes. back, baby. We are back. They're ready. They're ready to have a good time and get to work on their next, their next job. So last season, at the end of every episode, we talked about uh, a heist book, and I wanted to not run out of heist books. So we're going to switch it up a little this season, and there have been a bunch of really interesting heist cases in the news lately. So I thought at the end of every episode, we would kind of highlight one that has caught our eye. So this this story came across my feed, and I was just like, oh my god, oh my god. I told the story yesterday, and I'm like, go. Yes, okay. So, this took place in San Antonio, so, like, not far from where I live. A small horned shark named Miss Helen was kidnapped from the San Antonio Aquarium. So, a the, the culprit <laughs> were two men. So, and, and the one of the guys, I'm not even going to say their names, like, I don't... I don't care what their names are. But like the main guy who planned this heist says that he's an activist, not a criminal. And he had heard from some friends who had been at the museum that the, the fish weren't being treated properly. And especially in this touch tank where the shark was residing. And he disguised himself as a, um, what was he? He was a salt monitor and and went went in and checked like the salt levels of of the aquarium like a couple weeks before just kind of scoped the place out Did and you, I, he's doing recon yes he's doing recon he was he was casing the joint and then on the day of the heist he um, another man and a woman with um like an infant are at the aquarium and they're there for a long time just kind of lurking around near the touch tank and he says that he saw somebody squeeze the shark and he was like, this is, this is it. So they, you know, they found the right moment and the two guys jump in and they, they scoop up the shark. And this is all on camera. They scoop up the shark and wrap her in this wet blanket. And then they like kind of hurry out of the frame of the camera. I still can't read it. I still can't read it. I will send you a link with the video. I just, and it, you like watch it happen. You're like, what the, what? And, and I guess there's like a lot of stuff going on. And so, you know, you just see someone acting weird and you're just like, oh, okay. Um, and they put her in a container and but wrap like, that in the blanket. Helen was still like a baby shark. So she wasn't like unwieldy. So she could still fit in a stroll. Yeah, she's not, she's not a great white shark. She's not a large shark. She's a, um, a small horn shark. So she's about 16 inches long. So she's not huge. They put her in this bin and they wrap that up in a towel and a, like a baby blanket and they put it into the stroller and then they just feel like stroll out. I feel like my keyboard's about 16 inches. So yeah, like, so that's, like, like, my 
keyboard. Yeah, it's it's not like just a little goldfish, but it's not, you know, a huge a huge shark. They're small. They don't have big mouths. They're not going to bite you. They're, there's a reason that they're in touch tanks. A huge yeah. She's very beautiful. She's like this tan color and she has these black dots on her. Her name is Miss Helen. I'm sure she's a very fancy lady. And I'm sure she did not appreciate this. And Not at all. Yeah. So, so they, like the pool attendant who's always there next to the animals, turned away. And the time was right. The two men sprang into action, quickly scooping up Miss Helen and wrapping her in a wet blanket. At this point, the man, the men hurried out of the camera frame, dripping water. Okay, I'm just trying to Google a picture of Miss Helen. Right. The woman with a baby followed with her stroller. They were headed, according to the aquarium, into a filter room where they had located a bucket filled with bleach solution that employees would use to disinfect tools. They dumped that bucket, at least partially, over the cold water exhibit filtration system, stashed Miss Helen in the bucket. Okay, so they emptied the bucket. They didn't even bring their own gear. What the heck? Like, if you're gonna steal a shark, make sure you have the proper things to keep her safe. <laughs> you are not an activist, sir. No, you are a terrorist. Um, make so, sure, like, and then they, like, put the other animals the proper, in danger. Like, the proper, like, solidity, like, the proper temperature. Yes! Helen, yeah, like, if you were really... And make were, sure she has, like, the proper food, like, does she eat, like, krill, or does she eat, like, whatever Miss Helen eats? Yeah. Yeah, so that's... No. Okay, now that I'm reading more about this, I didn't really have any sympathy for this guy anyways. Uh... But yeah, so luckily the aquarium employees caught him quickly. One employee noticed the three being suspicious, and while some employees went into containment mode to protect the other animals from the bleach solution, managers called the police and rushed out to the parking lot to confront the trio of thieves. According to the aquarium, the general manager asked the suspected shark snappers <laughs> to take a look inside the truck, but the one of the men refused, saying his son was sick and he needed to leave immediately. So then they drove off, leaving his two companions behind. But they got the, the license plate number. And soon the police were involved, obviously. She's um, like, yeah. Though, though, though he left he left his cocos fruitus behind. Though the Leon Valley wow. told told the reporters that at first they thought the call was the a shark week prank. You don't you don't leave you don't you leave no man behind. No, I mean yeah. They tried to do that at the beginning of Leverage. They needed a Nate if they were going to pull this off. Oh my. Yeah, so if in minutes and after Miss Helen's kidnapping, authorities said it was unlikely that she would survive, particularly given the bleach in the bucket she'd been smuggled away in. And the trauma she suffered. Exactly. But they didn't need to worry so much about the thieves' ability to care for her, it turned out. Um, so they, yeah, they... He was like a marine enthusiast anyways, and he had a bunch of saltwater tanks at home. So he, she was in one of his saltwater tanks with his other sharks when they found him. Um, so, so that's okay. I mean, so like at least she was, once she got home, she was safe. But I'm like, dude, if you're gonna... Well, do we have a current status on Miss Helen? Is she okay? She is fine. Um, so let's see. Soon the two men involved had confessed, and according to CNN, one of the men has been charged with theft while the charges for her, his co-conspirators are pending. Miss Helen, for her part, is being carefully monitored as she is reintroduced to her tank. Miss Helen's fans, who had grown in numbers over the course of her kidnapping, were pleased. 
So, Miss Helen is doing fine. I love that her name is Miss Helen. Uh, it makes me very happy. But yeah, like that's just so bizarre. Stealing a, a, a shark and just walking oh, out. Crazy. And like, good job, like aquarium employees. Like, good job. We were on the wall. And they were like, Miss Helen, no! Like, see something, say something. Exactly. See something, chase that person. Um, get their driver's, their <laughs> license plate number. Okay. Yeah. Yes. All right. Let's wrap this up. Yay. Okay. So, Lisa, tell us where we can find you on the internet. I am at La Foresta Book. Um, I'm usually on the Twitter, so that's usually the best way to find me. Excellent. And I'm at Librarian Steve on Twitter. It's the best way to find me as well. I basically live there. And I'll be posting a, a link to our conversation, anyway, with the gifts of, of this episode. So you, you'll be able to really find us right there. And yeah, so you... Uh, won't see us, but you'll hear us again in two weeks, hopefully, if this all worked out the way it was supposed to, uh, when I have somebody on to talk about the knockout job. Yay! Alright. I'm excited because I don't remember what it's about at all. <laughs> <laughs> the second season, I'm like, what's... Oh, that's what this one is! You know? <laughs>